I'm Jenny Rerick. I'm Jay Weedle. And you're listening to the Fit to Speak podcast. A show dedicated to giving coaches and trainers practical tips on how to communicate what they know in a way other people understand. We're here for episode three, Jay. Good to be back. Jenny, great to see you as always. Glad to be back. I can't see you. Everyone else can only hear us, but it is wonderful to see you. Last in last episode, I talked about self-awareness and we're doing a little bit of mining down to answering that question about how we can become more aware of our own communication skills and begin to improve them. And you and I had decided to break this down into three episodes. Episode two, which we launched last week was about self-awareness. Today, you're going to be leading the show talking about making it a little bit more tactical in terms of assessing yourself when it comes to a coaching or training scenario. And then in next episode, we're going to talk specifically about soliciting and implementing feedback. Yeah. If you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, I would absolutely recommend everybody to go and do it because it's a brilliant episode in and of its own right. But a lot of what we'll discuss today will reference back to self-awareness as the foundational skill. So as Jenny mentioned, today we'll be talking a little bit more about self-assessment. And the way I'll talk about self-assessment will be in three sections. Mostly we'll talk about the first section today and then in a follow-up handout, PDF, download, however we're going to do it, we'll be able to talk about the second two sections as well. So the first section is building an objective framework by which we can actually evaluate ourselves against. Then the, the second two sections will be what questions can we ask to see if we're actually hitting those objectives? And then finally, how do we implement what we learn from our self-evaluation, from our self-assessment? If at all, what, what do we want to do with that information that we glean? So as I mentioned, parts two and three will be addressed by the free download and the upcoming Fit to Speak newsletter, which you can actually sign up for that in the show notes as well. Okay, so I think let's just dive straight in, Jenny. Great. All right, we're talking about self-assessment. Can you, can you give us a more detailed outline of what exactly you mean by self-assessment in the context of a coaching scenario? Absolutely. Self-assessment in the context of coaching, simply put, is the act of evaluating both our actions and our attitudes in relation to the objective standard within a training session or a workout if you're a personal trainer. So for a personal trainer, that might be like a one-on-one session. And if you're a team coach or a large group coach, that might be in a group practice. The most important piece of that definition for me is the part about the objective standard we'll almost always struggle to identify the areas of improvement if we don't have a clear vision of what we're looking to achieve. We're not aiming for perfection, but we do need to have a good idea of what best practice actually looks like in our head. What direction are we going in? Because if we simply just sit back and we just assess and we look at everything, we can write down all the things that happen, but we maybe not super sure whether the information that we're garnering is relevant. Is it useful? What am I supposed to do with it? So starting with the objective standard is incredibly important. The objective measures aren't the be all and end all. And obviously we can still bring our personality to the party. I think oftentimes people think of objective standards of, well, I'm systematizing everything and I'm just going to repeat and I'm going to run the same thing with everybody. That's not the case. What I've always said to coaches that I've ended up working with is 
the objective standard are the things that we can always refer back to. They're the scaffolding. And then we want to fill in the gaps and, and kind of do the top of the pyramid almost with our personality. The personality is the thing that brings the training to life and makes it relevant to the person. But they are the foundation of creating relevant, consistent, and repeatable client and athlete experiences. I love that. The objective standard is what you're aiming for. It's the same reason why with our clients, we encourage them to set specific goals. Because if Absolutely. not, then, you know, then we don't know what, what direction we're heading in or if the energy we're putting into something is actually worthwhile. As a coach or a trainer, where should we start when it comes to planning and implementing a self-assessment? That's a brilliant question. Ultimately, you've got one question to ask, and at least this has been my experience. You've got one question to ask, which is what does the perfect training session actually look like? So you can think of all the ingredients that go into this, this, this tastiest of recipes. And obviously, perfect is the direction we're trying to go in, the, the, this ideal that we're trying to go in. And I know that perfection isn't necessarily possible, or it's not the same for everybody, but just like having a standard format for our Word documents when we open them, or our program templates when we open them to write, we want to be able to provide clients with, and athletes, with a repeatable and a recognizable training experience every time that they meet with us. And that's only going to bring to life the idea that I mentioned previously of, then we can fill in the gaps with our personality because the framework of the training session, the framework of the hour, the time we're going to spend together is expected. People know what they are, they're getting themselves into every single time they come through that gym door. And so I like to break the training experience up into three buckets. Number one is logistics. Number two is training. And number three is communication. And obviously, though communication specifically is one entire bucket, and that's more so what we'll talking, talk about today, it's worth highlighting that everything we do communicates to the client or the athlete that we're working with. Just as Jenny mentioned last week, just as you mentioned, sorry, Jenny, last week, I forgot who I was talking to there for a second. Just as you mentioned last week, you discussed presence and presentation and also how we choose to express ourselves and, and the messages that we give so our our appearance, or do we prefer text messages? Do we prefer phone calls? Do we prefer emails? They're all certain ways that we communicate with the client. But today we'll talk a little bit more about the nitty gritty of the actual questions, the actual words that we say. Hopefully that makes sense. It does very much. And you mentioned uh, the importance of creating repeatable and recognizable training experiences. Mm -hmm. It sounds simple. And yet I think that's the easiest way to build trust with somebody is they can count on you and there aren't a lot of surprises when it comes to a business or coaching or training setting. I don't think surprises are usually a, a good thing. Someone who we can predict their behavior is often someone that we trust because we like to be able to predict what we're going to get. Great point there. If we can create a, a predictable environment that, that person's going to walk into, we then have so much more time and space to be able to ask the specific things about that day, about that person, about this training session, rather than having to rewrite everything every single time. If one, even something simple like the door that the person comes through, if the door the person comes through is sometimes the exit, sometimes the entrance, like, that's weird. You don't know where to go and meet the person. If you work in a big box gym and you don't meet your person at the front desk or the same place every single time, the really short version of that is that you spend five minutes walking around looking for each other, setting a standard of, hey, this is where we meet when we do our training session. This is what the first two, three minutes look like. This is what the next section looks like. And being able to, within reason, have some reliability. I think that was the word you used, have some reliability and predictability of this is how, 
how this thing runs. And so when I do give the client or the athlete something new to do, they only have to focus on that one new thing. They're not focusing on the other 30 new things that they had to learn that day, including which door to meet you at and where, where on the training floor do they start? You mentioned there are three buckets that you're going to walk us through. One is logistics, two is training, and the third is communication. If we start there at the top, can you give us some examples of what would fall into that logistics bucket in terms of the self-assessment? Absolutely. Logistics it might sound redundant, and yet it's the start. It's the very, it's probably the most important part because it really sets the tone for the training session. So number one, am I, am I on time? And I know that that one's probably been beat to death and yet it, it still was worthwhile saying, am I there to meet the client when the client comes in? Even if I'm going session to session or, or practice to practice, am I finishing my previous session in enough time to be able to give my next client the same experience that I gave my first client of the day within reason. So am I on time? Do I have my program ready to run? Have I printed it out? Do I have my laptop open? Do I know what I'm about to do with this person and how I'm going to explain it to them? Do I have my equipment prepared or at least know where I'm going to go and start the session within the facility if you work in a big, big facility? This is really important because it's mostly important in my opinion that because it communicates that you value this person's time. There's rarely a higher compliment for a person. If this person is paying you by the hour, but we spend the first five, 10 minutes faffing around trying to find each other, as I mentioned, or trying to get my program ready or asking them, hey, what's the workout you want to do today? I'm showing a complete lack of, I guess, respect for that person's time. And so by showing that you value that person's time, that they're willing to spend money to be with you and take time out of their day to be with you. As I said, there's rarely a, a higher compliment that, than that. And so many of these, well, all of them set the tone for the rest of the training session. If you come into a training session, you're flustered, you're looking for their program, you don't have the equipment set up and you're taking time to have to set up the space that you're going to be working in. It starts the session off on a flustered note. And to your point, if that person is paying for your time, it shows a complete lack of respect for the money and the time that they're investing in you. In a traditional business setting, a lot of people who schedule meetings for 25 minutes or 55 minutes, not 30 minutes or 60 minutes, because it gives them that buffer to be able to close one meeting, take a few minutes to get set up and then begin another. And that same, as you're saying, that same thing should apply and we should abide by with our own sessions. Logistics was bucket number one. That takes us then to bucket number two, which you have as training. What are some example questions you can offer in the training bucket? So obviously the training is the big, it's the big meat and potatoes. It's the big X's and O's. And I won't go into the X's and O's because that's, there's millions of podcasts on the X's and O's of training. And this, we're talking more about the communication. So when I talk about training as one of the buckets, I mean, does the training program make sense? So job number one, this is where you can get into your X's and O's. Is it specific and is it progressive? Have you taken the time to write a training program that actually makes sense? Is it relevant to the client and their goal? We talked a little bit about this last week. It's really easy for us as coaches to fall into our own biases. So I really like the Turkish getup. So I'm going to make every Tom, Dick and Harry do the Turkish getup. But if this person's main goal is to lose 30 pounds, there's probably more useful setups, especially if I only get an hour or two with this person a week, than teaching this person, person the, the Turkish getup. Sure, it's valuable, 
but to what end? Let's take the right tools to the jobs. So is it relevant to the client and their goal? Is it appropriate for their skill level and can they perform the task? Am I asking somebody to do box jumps on day one? Because even though you know power output might be really important, I need to make sure that it's appropriate for that person. I'm not just going to spend the next 20 minutes showing them, coaxing them, making them feel comfortable and confident, and then getting a single box jump in there of a pretty low grade or low quality. Is it worth it? We have to ask ourselves that question. And then I mentioned this maybe episode one. This is something that's kind of personal to me. And I think that coaches in general whether you work with groups, pro athletes, grandma, Betty, executive Joe, Joe, doesn't matter. Have I considered the tendencies, the preferences and the experiences of that person in front of me? Because if I treat everybody the same, or if I write a program that's the same for everybody, even though everybody might have a version of squats, I'm going to do most people a disservice if I just treat them the, the same. I need to be able to take the right tool to the right job. This reminds me of something my husband Brendan says is after you write a program, you should be able to defend it in the same way you might defend a dissertation if you're writing for a PhD. Are you able to explain why you've programmed the exercises that you have in there and why you put them in the places that they are? If you can't, it's not to say that you need to change anything, but it does at least beg the question, am I doing this out of habit? And am I not giving any thought to this person? That's so important. And then also there's a difference between having theoretical knowledge and applied or practical knowledge. That is the challenge we're trying to overcome here is a lot of coaches and trainers have the theoretical knowledge of understanding this is how it's quote unquote supposed to go. But a lot of time that doesn't work in the real world because of the equipment you have or don't have access to, the space that you're in and how crowded it is and all those things, we find practically they don't work out. And if we're not prepared for that, using the questions that you've just posed, we again, find ourselves in a position where we're scrambling to change the program in the moment because we didn't put the thought in to begin with. And so we, much of the fitness industry is geared around the in-session stuff, the, the, the almost like mathematic equations of well if i do this here and i can do this here and i can squeeze a little bit more workout over here and then i can undulate the load and i can do a drop set and i can do this this and this that is absolutely great that is the way you can progress it but if you try and force feed that person that thing and they don't give <laughs> that thing and they don't value it then you've made this beautiful delicious meal that nobody wants to eat because you, everybody in front of you is a vegetarian and you've made a meat meal like it it, you've picked the wrong, you've picked the wrong recipe for that person. And I think so much of the continuing education and the education that's out, it's incredibly valuable, but so much of it is lost or left to gather dust, as we've mentioned before, because we're not considering the person in front of us and the relevance to that person and their experiences and, and their preferences and, and their tendencies as much as we should do. And they are I don't really like that word should, but I'm willing to use it here to say that I do think that we should consider it more because every coach that's listening to this, I will put money on the fact that every coach has had a session where they thought, God, I did everything I could there. The program was perfect. I thought I was going to smash that out of the water and I feel like we got nothing done and I'm just really annoyed about it. And, you know, grandma Betty left and, and, she didn't feel, she didn't look like she'd had a good time 
I wonder what I did. I wonder what I could have done better. The thing you, we could, all could have done better is Tennessee's preferences and experiences almost always. We've talked about that theme quite a bit in the episodes. The lens that you always need to have on is the person that's in front of you as right as something you're doing, you think is if it's not going to work or make sense to that person in front of you, then we need to be flexible enough to make adjustments. That's the training bucket. You had a third bucket, which is the bucket of communication. What are some of the example self-assessment questions you would put within the bucket of communications? So this is really the meat and potatoes, obviously, of, of where you and I do most of our work. The first part of the communications bucket is, am I using framing? Am I framing the session in a way that matters to the client? So there's that word again, which is relevance. Am I speaking in a language that this person can understand and cares about? So framing the session is really important. And I'll touch on that a little bit more in a minute. Am I using language that they appreciate or am I using jargon? You mentioned this last week. Am I doing this for me? to show this person that I know why it's important to counter-nutate the sacrum in this direction, because they probably don't care. It's highly unlikely that they care. And if they do care, what can they do with that information? Maybe they're really detail-oriented. I've worked with a lot of those people. But what can they actually do with that information? It kind of keeps them majoring in the minors. And then am I using the information that I receive from conversations I have and questions that I ask them to actually inform the work I'm doing with that person? Or am I just asking for the sake of asking? And I'm not saying that those questions at the end, just asking for the sake of asking because of you know, general interest and, and building a rapport with that person isn't useful. It absolutely is. It is useful for building a rapport. I think there's a missing gap though, where I can say, oh, this person just spent the week traveling and being out with clients every night. And I didn't see them two days last week. I usually see them two days a week. And now I'm going to try and see them four days this week. They've told me how much work they did, how stressed they were, how many nights they were on the source. And then I've just got this program. And if I don't make any adjustments to my Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday program, I'm going to kill them by Wednesday. And so what am I actually doing with that information that I'm gleaning from the conversations that I'm having and, and the first question, the answer that I get, is it informing my next question? Or like you mentioned earlier on, am I just force of habit? Am I just, how was your weekend? Great. How was work today? Great. Again, they're important questions if they are useful, if you can do something with the answers to them. I think that's something, maybe a trick that we miss a little bit. That's incredibly important is before you even ask a question, having an intention behind that. And I think one of the the benefits of doing that is it puts you in a position to be successful when it comes to listening, because we are much better listeners when we have a vested interest in what's going to come from the answer to that question. And if I go in and I ask a question that has an intention where I'm trying to seek information that's going to be valuable to me or to this relationship or to whatever decision I'm going to make with this person, I'm going to be a better listener because I see the value in it for myself. Whereas to your point, when we ask routine questions, we ask the same questions of everybody. We might ask the question. We don't usually actually listen to the answer because we didn't have a vested interest in the answer to begin with. You talked about framing. I experienced this last night. I have a, a personal training client. She spends all of her free time with her husband, canoeing, hiking, camping, backpacking, all these things. We were doing half kneeling landmine press. And as we're doing it, she begins to tell me how much this exercise has helped her because her and her husband had to carry 
the canoe over their heads. And she said how much stronger she felt doing it. Usually she's mm-hmm. shaking. And she said, I really think this exercise is helping me carry this canoe over my head. Mm-hmm. That to me is framing. It's she got it. She understood how this exercise with this barbell and this pad is translating to something that's meaningful to her. Can you talk to us a little bit more about framing? Because I is I think it's one of the most important tools or techniques we can develop as coaches. I just want to quickly rewind that you just used a word that I hadn't really thought of, but it makes a ton of sense and it's translate. How does what we're doing translate over? It's really easy for coaches to arbitrarily say overhead pressing is just going to make you better at everyday life. And that they, the person in front of you can do something with that information, but they're going to get even more out of it once they actually experience it. When they experience it and bring it back to you, the coach, you can say, great, should we do more of that? Do you want to do more of that? Does that feel sufficient? Is it right? Is it wrong? You can start having more conversations about it. So we can start general and say, yeah, we can get stronger everywhere. If they don't tell you about this in their intake or like, hey, my goal is to hold a canoe over my head for an hour with my husband, whatever it might be. Probably not going to be that specific. I've never had a goal that's been that specific, let's say. But you, that's a perfect example where you can say, most likely you put some landmine presses in there because, well, get people's shoulders and shoulder blades moving. It was in there more likely from a standard template once she gave you that feedback you can now communicate it in a way that is that's relevant to her and if she shows a positive experience with i really like these i feel like they're helping me great check mark in my head i'll keep those in there is this something you want to do more of is there a variation that i can give you a few months down the line that is going to be more applicable to the next thing that you're going to do starting to build a catalog of that information in our head allows us to continue to ask better questions in the future so Thanks for a quick segue there. You asked, why is framing so powerful and why is it so useful? You mentioned earlier on just before the before the call that coaches need to be understanding creators, not information givers. And I that's that's very profound. And if people take nothing away from today, that's probably a useful thing for them to latch onto when it comes to framing. I'll break framing up for both the client and for the coach. What framing allows us to do is it allows us to set a clear expectation of what the session's actually going to be like. So we talked earlier on about logistics where we said, well, people need to get an expectation, a clear, reliable, relatable, hey, this is what training looks like when I go here. I can just focus on the output. I can focus on the effort. I can focus on the, the little bits about today. They're not just learning something new, completely new every single time. So it sets clear expectations. It also allows them to mentally prepare themselves for the work that's upcoming and they can kind of mediate their approach. If they come through the door and we don't tell them what the session is going to be like, they're not sure where they're going to have to put their effort. Do I just go gut buster from minute one and see if I can last all the way through the hour? Or is there a time that's more applicable? Hey, your warm-up's going to be general. We're going to get into them some more core work and then when you come and do your deadlifts that's when i really want you to focus because that's going to be the challenge for today they can mediate their approach a little bit more and and realize where they're going to put their effort for the hour i also think that it shows them that you're the leader and you're prepared and so they can as i said just focus on driving the output because you've drawn the map like you're the gps they're the engine they can just give it the gas where they need to give it the gas rather than having to understand the nuance of everything because they'll never get anywhere. It's going to get stuck in the weeds. So I think that's incredibly valuable as well. The us as the coach, it starts to build buy-in right from the very start. 
because it shows, like I mentioned earlier, that you value their time by being prepared and you, you're being thoughtful. On top of the buy-in, it starts to build a bit of trust as well because you've developed a plan based off what either they told you if it's their first session, what they told you in their intake, or what they said to you the previous sessions or the previous four-week block and that you've taken into consideration what they actually value and what they want to get out and you've made adjustments based off those things. One of the questions that I ask people all the time in program feedback forms is, what do you feel like you need more of? What do you feel like you need less of? And what would you be okay if I kept the same? I'm asking them how they feel. I'm not asking them to tell me the nuts and bolts of the biomechanics of what works, what doesn't. I'm asking them to tell me how they feel so I can hear how they feel and decide how I can support that, how I can give them more or less depending on what they feel. I think the final thing that it shows is it, it provides a framework by which we can reference back to. It's really easy. I'm sure we've all been in a training session where we've started really chatty. Someone's come through the door. They've just got off the phone. Let me tell you this. And right from the get-go, it's like trying to corral cats. We're just trying to get everybody in. The, the gym's busy. We're trying to bring this person on, on track. If we can take that first five minutes, five seconds, whatever it is, to frame, this is what we're going to do today. This is where I want you to bring your best efforts I value your time. This is what we want to try and get out of it. And at the end of the session, I'm hoping to have addressed X. So I want to make sure that you feel Y. They can start leaving the stress outside of the gym and managing the stress inside of the gym, the stress that we're about to put on them rather than them trying to juggle both. I'll give you an example. Something you might say is by the time you get to like your A block of your deadlift, your deadlift block or something like that, you might say, as I mentioned at the start of the session, when you're about to deadlift, I want you to continue on focusing on pushing instead of pulling. I'm referencing back at the start of the session. I said this was going to happen with 35 minutes in. Now it's happening. Do you remember when I said this? Like I'm showing consistency of my application of my thought process of my program. This is what we're doing. This is where we're going. I have a plan. And if the conversation gets off track, like I mentioned, it's oftentimes hard to manage people for time. You've only got 60 minutes with them. Something I've definitely said to people in the past is in the interest of time, I'm interested in what you're saying, but in, in the interest of time, I'm going to move on to the next block because like I mentioned, I want to make sure we get to the deadlifts because this is where we could do a lot of work today. Just like I mentioned at the start of the session. So we can use that framework to reference back to where we're not having to, as I said, corral cats all the time. I'm trying to keep everything. I'm trying to learn as I'm going and I'm trying to keep everybody on the same page. That's really bloody hard. And I will put, again, put money on the fact that every coach that's listening to this has thought, yeah, I've had many sessions where it's been like that. Being able to come back to that moment of framing allows us to kind of have a beacon to, to pull back to. This is incredibly helpful. The When you talked about framing as helping set clear expectations for what a session is going to look like for a client, meaning mm -hmm. when they come in, they don't have to react to everything because the structure or the bones are always the same and they're just mm -hmm. reacting to some of the nuances of that session. It, what came to mind for me was it's the same reason why if you've ever played on a sports team, why sports teams have a specific pre-game routine. Here's how yep. we run out of the tunnel. Here's how we <laughs> organize ourselves on the field when we do our warm-up. These are the drills we do in preparation for the game. All of those things, the reason why teams do pre-game routines is because now the team can focus on the game. They don't have to focus on or put their energy to saying, okay, how are we going to prepare in this hour before the game starts? Yeah. 
And then you mentioned it gives clients time to mentally prepare for the training session. For me, I have a personal example. A few years ago, I started doing jujitsu. I've never in my life done martial arts. The whole entire week leading up to that first session I was going to, I watched YouTube videos about what a jujitsu class was like. Nobody told me to do that. But as a consumer and somebody who was intimidated by what I was going to experience, having the knowledge or at least some type of expectation of what could this be like Mm -hmm. was incredibly helpful. And it made me feel more confident coming into something that I didn't have much confidence in. Our Mm -hmm. clients have that same experience. So many clients are afraid and intimidated by the gym. And if you expect them to come in and be as excited and open to it as you are, huge mistake. Because we make a lot of assumptions. The more information we can give our clients about what to expect when they come in, the more empowered they're going to feel. They don't want to be surprised. They want to feel like they're in control. So let me ask you, on top of the jujitsu, the fact that you're the consumer and you went and looked at them speaks to you as a person. Let me pose for you. If the jujitsu provider, the dojo, the class, I'm not sure what, (laughs) what the technical term is, but if they'd have sent an email out to you saying, Jenny, welcome to Johnny's jujitsu class. Here's what you can expect on day one. This is the way the beginner count class looks. Here's what to wear. Here's what to bring. How much more buy-in, how much more confidence would you have had just from that? If they'd have done that and then have a follow-up point for you. Yeah. An incredible amount. And then when you went through the door and they delivered on that, then how would you feel? Like I could trust them. Because these it, people it, know their shit. I'm ready to go. I could, this is the place for me. Yeah. They did what they said they were going to do. And I haven't even given them any money yet. Yeah. I think the number one fear for people doing something new for them is they're going to come in and look like an idiot. Yeah. When we don't give our clients information on what they can expect when they come in, we set them up to look like idiots. Whereas you're right. If I had gotten an email that said, where are this? You, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to line up like this. We're going to talk about these things. This is what the warm-up looks like. I would come in and I wouldn't look like the new person. It's not fun to look like yeah. the new person. Yeah, you're already gonna you're already gonna jujitsu like the new person when you get to the <laughs> yeah. mat in the first place. You're already gonna do the vast majority of it. Speaking specifically from a, a private gym standpoint, doing that, if people aren't already doing that, doing that is going to lower the no-show rate to your initial sessions a million percent aggressive, but by a significant percentage, I would imagine, because again, you're setting clear expectations. I'll also say that you don't have to be hyper-specific, like you mentioned there. When you come into the gym, you can expect this. This is what to wear. This is what the start of the session might look like. This is what the middle of the session might look like. This is how long the session will be. Don't forget to bring a water bottle. You won't be the only new person here. You probably don't have to go into the nitty gritty of, sets and reps and this is you know this is what we'll be practicing on day one you can give them a framework of this is what it looks like when somebody new starts you won't be the only person so match your expectations to that thing one of the examples i've spoken about a million times when we talk about asking questions is if you don't ask questions there's infinite possibilities The purpose of asking questions, if there is a thousand possibilities, is for me to close 997 doors. And I'm going to try and close as 
as many doors as I can with as few questions as possible. And then that way I, I've got a smaller place that I can spend my time. I get to understand. So my questions might be trying to understand what I mentioned earlier on. What's this person's experience? What are their preferences? What are their goals? So the questions that I ask are going to help me tailor that. And then I can continue to ask questions about that more specifically. Speaking very specifically about framing. Framing is your opportunity to, to deliver on that thing every single time. So as I mentioned, that, that, that way the coach, the client can bring their best self and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Not only, not even, not even reinvent the wheel. You don't have to do anything other than just keep the wheel rolling. That's it. And everybody gets the same experience. Then the nuance within the session is a little bit different depending on the goal, depending on the person. And that's when you can bring your personality. That's when you can bring your specific set of coaching skills to it rather than having to spread yourself really thin every single session. Cause I'll put money on the fact that if you're a personal trainer who's doing eight sessions a day four to five days a week you're going to be absolutely gassed by midday on monday if that's the plan on this topic of questions you mm. talked earlier about the importance of using the answers to the questions <laughs> that you ask and the answers your clients give you to then inform the training that you do with that client. Instead of just mm -hmm. asking questions to ask, you're asking them with an intention and you're taking that information and you're doing something with it because that information has value to it. Can you talk a little yeah. bit more about that? This is one of the biggest missed opportunities that coaches have in my experience. Oftentimes getting to know somebody by asking how their weekend was, what they got up to after work last night, if they're going on vacation in the summer, they're all great questions and they do show interest and they, they build rapport. They're important. I, I absolutely get it because it's important to be personable for the long term, especially if you're going to spend a long, if your intention is to spend a long time with this person, even if they only sign a three month membership, that's still a minimum of 12 hours over the next three months. It, it pays to build that rapport, start laying the groundwork for that rapport. I'll say, however, that in the short term, remember clients do clients and athletes do hire us for outcomes. And I'm sure we'll talk about more about this in, in future podcast episodes, but this is the difference between being transactional versus transformational and transactional versus transformational is something we typically start transactional when we first meet with a person because we, we are doing that thing. We are setting standards. We are saying, this is how things work here when you work with me. This is what to expect. And we'd run that for a little while. And then over time, we start to become more transformational. We're maybe helping them build more autonomy. Maybe we're giving them things to do outside of the gym. But I don't want to go off too big, too big of a tangent there. But to, so to tie this back, when we ask questions, the missed opportunity is not taking the answers and actually seeing how it informs the work that we're going to do with that person. If we're just asking for the sake of asking habitually, like you mentioned before, we're missing an opportunity. And that opportunity really allows us to cinch in on that person and that person's goals and actually drive them to get better outcomes and, and help them get better results. Because if I was to ask every personal trainer or coach that's listening to this, what's the thing that builds buy-in the most? and I gave you 50 options and results were one of them, I would hope that results were pretty high at the top, if not at the top of that, that poll. Because 
That is what builds buy-in, 100%. And it's the main reason that the client hired us in the first place. Sure, maybe they hired us with a, a really acute goal, or maybe they just hired us because their doctor told them to. But their doctor told them to because they needed to do something about it. Some, needed to do something about something, whatever it was generally. And, and they're looking to us for our expertise. So sure, we might become friends with them over time, but they didn't hire us to be friends initially. They hired us to help them drive a particular health and fitness outcome or performance outcome. I'll give you an example. I might start general with somebody and I might say, hey, Timmy, what did you get up to this weekend? And the answer might be, well, I helped a friend move for 12 hours. That's pretty different than, you know, I did nothing. And so I might say, you know, that's really kind of you. On a scale of one to 10, how recovered are you or how prepared are you for today's training session? Now I'm starting to narrow in a little bit more. I'm saying, okay, it sounds like you were hauling dresser drawers around for the last 12 hours and, and boxes, which is something you don't usually do. I imagine that's made you a bit more fatigued than sitting on your backside in front of the telly. So now I'm just going to start narrowing down my questions. How recovered are you? Well, my shoulders are a bit sore, and but I feel okay. I'm, I'm maybe a five out of 10. Okay. So my conclusion in my head is I will be mindful when we go to do the bench press today, I'll see whether I need to adjust the load. I need to adjust the volume. And although there might be listeners thinking, well, of course, it's worth explicitly saying it because it's bloody important. And oftentimes it's, a, it's, the, it's the opportunity that's missed because we don't ask. We just say, hey, how was your weekend? Oh, I helped, you know, I helped so-and-so move. All right, great. Well, we got bench pressed today and we just don't link the two up. And we could do a much better job at saying, I'll be mindful of what's coming up. And I can explain my rationale if I do decide to de you know, deload the bar a little bit. Or let's say they can't hit the numbers that they hit, hit last week. I'm going to have a little bit of a rationale. I'm going to have a little bit of a catalog built up and say, well, you could maybe expect that because you're a little bit fatigued because you helped Timmy move. Rather than just having to come up with an arbitrary answer on the fly or, or say, uh, I don't know, I wasn't listening when you I asked you how your weekend was. Does that make sense? It does. An example for me is one of my personal training clients. She travels quite a bit for work. And I remember when she first reached out about training with me, she asked if I do any work with my clients related to nutrition. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it a little bit, but we, we really started with training. Well, last week we had a session on Monday and not with all too much intention, but I asked, what, what does the rest of your week look like? And she said, oh, mm -hmm. I'm going on a work trip on Wednesday and I won't be back mm -hmm. till next week. I could have left it at that and said, oh, mm -hmm. where are you going? But instead what I thought is this is a great opportunity to talk about nutrition because I know she struggles with nutrition choices when she's on the road. At that moment, it empowered me to be able to ask, do you want to cut our session 10 minutes short today and spend the last 10 minutes talking about how or what you can choose to eat when you're on the mm -hmm. road this week for work. And she said, yes, please. I would love that. What you're saying is incredibly important. And you mentioned specifically, if we can connect the dots for our clients, they will then begin to see that value that these sessions provide outside of them just being at the gym with us. 100%. We're building that autonomy. We're building that independence because if they can do some of those things on their own, I'm probably never going to run out of information or, or opportunities to support that person. So I'm trying to help them build it into their own catalog, their own lifestyle. And the, the example there was when I heard you say, I asked my client what the rest of the week looks like. At that moment, that's what I was thinking, thousand doors. So that question, regardless of what she answered, I'm training, I'm, I'm traveling for work you could still ask a thousand other questions, but you decided to 
bring it back and keep it closed loop and say, how does that inform the work that I do with this person? What you could have said was, where are you going? Mm -hmm. Traveling on your own? And we get farther and farther and farther away from the work that we do with this person. Or then we have to really do a lot of mental gymnastics to bring it back to, to this person and about the work that we do with them. And by no means telling people to not ask questions out of general friendliness. And at the same time, there is a way that we can continue to help this person with the work that they hired me to help them do, right? The, the, the results that they helped me to get. And I think maybe we're talking a little bit about, about professional boundaries. Maybe we're also just talking about this hour is designated to training, to health, to fitness, to nutrition, whatever it's dedicated to. And so if I'm going to dedicate it to that, let me keep it there. Let me keep it within that bucket. This is where we do this work comes back to framing, comes back to matching expectations. Because if we don't, and we start saying, how was your weekend? Who are you going with? Blah, 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 blah. Well, at some point in the future, that person's going to come in and they're just going to give you that without you asking. Or they might give you that without asking. Hey, I went away this weekend, had a crazy weekend, and they're just going to use up that training time with the stuff that we've allowed in the past or that we've encouraged and, and cultivated in the past. And I'm sure we'll talk more about this in the future as well. Yes. We talked about self-awareness in the last episode today. You brought it down into a session. If I'm a coach or a trainer and I'm walking either my client or my team through a session, what can I assess mm-hmm. about myself in that session? And the three buckets you had were logistics, training, and communication. And you gave us a couple of example questions. Can you wrap up what you walked Absolutely. us through today? Yeah, absolutely. So to wrap up, we need to build an objective framework of what we actually want our best coaching performance to look like. Only then can we actually assess ourselves against something that we've decided is what we want to do. And then we can identify the areas for improvement or the gaps that we might be having. The key areas for improvement, as you said, are logistics, training specifics, and communication. Logistics is, I guess it's standard. We always want to make sure that we're doing the same thing over and over and over again. That probably never really has to change. We won't be retooling that too much. The training is the nuts and bolts of what we're actually going to do. And we mentioned I need to make it specific and progressive. And there's lots of different ways that we can do that. And then the communication part is the nuanced component. And that's the bit that elevates good coaching to to great coaching and and highly impactful coaching. As I mentioned right at the start of this, I've included a a free self-assessment outline as part of this episode, and you'll be able to modify it to meet your meet your coaching role more closely. So you'll be able to tool it a little bit to depends on whether you're a personal trainer or a coach for groups and that kind of stuff. Having said that, you'll have to sign up for the Fit to Speak newsletter in order to get access to it, though. Definitely make sure that you do that. And the link for that will be in the show notes. Jay, fantastic stuff. Jenny, thank you as always. Thanks for making this such an enjoyable conversation. Thanks for listening to the show. As this is a podcast about communication, we value and welcome your input, any feedback you have, and questions about how we could make the show even better for you. We'd love it if you click the link in the show notes to do so.